When we finally kiss goodnight, how I'll hate going out in the storm. But if you really hold me tight, all the way home I'll be warm. And the fire is slowly dying, and my dear, we're still goodbye. But as long as you'd love me so, let it snow, let it snow and snow. When we finally kiss goodnight, how I'll hate going out in the storm. But if you really grab me tight, all the way home I'll be warm. Oh, the fire is slowly dying, and my dear, we're still goodbye. But as long as you love me so, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. She met me at the door, said I would have to choose. If I hit that fishing hole today, she'd be packing all her things and she'd be gone by noon. Well, I'm gonna miss her when I get home. Right now I'm on this lake shore And I'm sitting in the sun I'm sure it'll hit me When I walk through that door tonight Yeah, I'm gonna miss her All the day I've got a bite All There's a chance that if I hurry, I could beg her to stay. That water's right and the weather's perfect. 
No telling what I might catch today. So I'm going to miss her. I get home Right now I'm on this lake shore And I'm sitting in the sun I'm sure it'll hit me When I walk through that door tonight Yeah, I'm gonna miss her I'll be there Another bite, yeah, I'm gonna miss her, oh, looky there, I've got a bite. Hello and good evening. Welcome to The Pulse tonight. Thank you all for joining. Got a great show ahead of us tonight. Uh, got some, got a special guest speaker tonight, which I really enjoy having. And uh, hope everyone's uh, week is going well. We're into hump day eve, going into Wednesday. And uh, hope all your all your experiments for the week are going very well. All right, let's get things started tonight. Uh, once again, thank you all for coming and being a part of the show. Uh, Going to get a few announcements out here. Um, just a reminder that uh, Clear Sky Lodge is going to be closed December 20th through the 26th. Um, that is the Clear Sky Lodge. So if you do anything for picking up packages or um, receiving food and munchies there or any of the other services that they offer, just a reminder that um, Clear Sky is going to be closed December 20th through the 26th. All righty. Also... Going to keep plugging this one, of course. Neighbor-to-neighbor uh, -neighbor holiday food drive. You guys probably got it memorized by now, and I hope you do. The neighbor-to-neighbor -neighbor holiday food drive, Tuesday, December 15th, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m., and that's at the Tri-Valley Community Center. Uh, once again, the neighbor-to-neighbor -neighbor holiday food drive is going to be December 15th, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m., and that's going to be at the Tri-Valley Community Center. It's for a great cause. If you can help out, please do. I know that um, they're going to uh, uh, really appreciate any help that they get. Um, and also, uh, you know, this is for a very good cause for our communities here. Uh, they supported, like, uh, I believe it was last time I talked to Barbara, I think it was 60 plus families last year. So it is a good cause and uh, anything you can help out with would be mostly appreciated. So keep that in mind. The Neighbor to Neighbor Food Drive, December 15th, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. And that's going to be at the Tri-Valley Community Center. 
All righty. Uh, also, Denali Chamber of Commerce, Santa's Mailbox. They have that set up right now. Uh, Santa's Mailbox is located outside the Chamber's front door. You can drop a letter to Santa. Um, please remember to make sure that you do leave a uh, return address on that envelope. And um, if you can't get it dropped off, you can always mail it to them. Uh, put it out to Santa's mailbox, P.O. Box 437, and that's going to be Healy 99743. Santa's mailbox, and that's at the Denali Chamber of Commerce. Also, uh, going to uh, bring up, uh, we have had a few hot cases, uh, COVID cases here in our communities. And just a reminder to be safe out there. And also wanted to give a plug out to uh, Carrie out at the Rough Woods in Ninana. Um, they will be uh, reopening their doors Wednesday morning and back and serving fine munchies and a good place to get together. That's the Rough Woods in Ninana, and they will be open tomorrow morning from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m., and they're on out. All right. Uh, uh, I see that up there. Okay. Uh, we had been talking. That was another out announcement um we were uh talking about last week actually the last couple of week of uh putting out a decorations map here in anderson for drive-bys um beautiful homes popping up lots of lights out there it's looking really really good out there just want to thank everyone for doing that and uh definitely seeing a bunch of people are decorating out there uh, I saw your note up there, Karen. Um, yeah, my last drive around the, the community, it's really starting to lighten up out there with Christmas cheer. So for everyone out there that's lighting up their homes for this holly jolly Christmas season, thank you. It is appreciated by us and I'm sure a lot of people here in town and the listeners. And that also... Uh, Big shout out to, as always, I'm going to give shout outs to, of course, our workers here in Anderson that work uh, tirelessly to keep our city going. Our EMS workers, uh, the fire department, our city, and of course, our DMV and everyone out in the field that uh, works to keep things running here. Big thank you out there and uh, appreciate all your service. That's another thing I wanted to get out there again is uh, please, if you can, uh, support local business out there. The COVID is starting to take a toll on small businesses, and we're starting to see a little bit of uh, shutdowns here and there. And uh, as we all try to strive to keep a strong community, if there's anything that you can do, um, please support our local business out there. Also, uh, bring this up again, uh, the Jingle Bell Bazaar. It was great to be out there. Uh, met quite a few people. Uh, even uh, with their permission, I got to take some pictures and uh, posted them there on the Anderson uh, 
and the Pulse Facebook page. So big shout out to them for putting it all together. We had a lot of fun. Uh, we had some friends here that were from out of town and was uh, lucky enough to take them out there and buy some of the local wares and some of the goodies. Also, uh, I have been in contact with a few others in the community and surrounding communities, um, trying to get the, uh, no pun intended, the pulse on what's going on. We do have some stuff coming up in the works. And as soon as I uh, am able to uh, nail these things down, I will get them out on the air. Also, uh, shout out to everyone that's doing the community watch here and other communities. Um, I have heard that the other surrounding communities are uh, doing the same thing as us right now during the holidays. And it's made some tremendous impact. Of course, a lot of the neighbors are recognizing us driving through there at all times of the day. And um, it's making a huge impact. So thank you, everyone, that is a part of the Community Watch, to include uh, Miss Karen out there. Thank you for uh, spearheading this and getting it off the ground. Um, I'm receiving big kudos Uh about uh, our community watch. Also, uh, let's see here. Looks like someone just uh, threw something out there uh, while on the subject. How is our community? Our community is running very strong right now. And um, it is doing wonderful. The support that we have around here in the area is uh, really showing. Um, we make sure that things are uh, uh, on task and taken care of. Um, to all of you that uh, do know, uh, we want to uh, let you know that uh, if you happen to be gone or this or that, that uh, Community Watch is in progress all the time at all hours of the day. And things are uh, being taken care of here. Yep, definitely. I'm relieved to know. And uh, I got a special eye on that one for you, just to let you know. And I'm sure a few others do, too. <laughs> so with that, thank you, everyone. Um, also wanted to get out there. Please remember, um, this, this, uh, this podcast is really getting strong out there. And it's really, um, it's taken off further than... I had imagined, and I, for myself, want to thank you all for being involved and get the word out there that we're here and to join. Um, I know there's times where uh, we have a cricket contest where, I mean, we hear those uh, crickets in the background for call-ins, but um, we do, I do enjoy being able to see the progress of the show, and I, uh, I love watching how many times our show is being downloaded and the amount of listeners and followers that we are having right now. It's only getting stronger, and it's bringing us uh, as a community a lot stronger also. Also, uh, with that, um, like I said, uh, the COVID cases are on the rise. Um, things are being 
looked at. And of course, everyone is being as safe as they can. Um, it, uh, let me see here. I happened to pull this up earlier and I do have it on my screen here. Let me open this up here. And I do have the latest count for us. And let's see here. Total cases from November 23rd to uh, today, new cases. Uh, we're at uh, nine cases, and that's been in the last uh, 14 days. Um, let's see here. I also had pulled up. Excuse me, I wasn't quite prepared for this one. Total cases right now are 49 cases in the Denali borough. So it is floating around out there. Um, I have been posting, of course, that uh, when we do have testing here in Anderson, I make sure that it's on the Anderson page and also on the Pulse page. So just be careful out there. All right, tonight we have a uh, guest speaker coming on. Um, he's kind of turning into our our celebrity here. And uh, just to let you know, Kevin, <laughs> I get a lot of emails and a lot of messages about every time you're on. And uh, it's really enjoyable. They love to hear you talk about what's going on in the fishery world. And it's also um, definitely really, really cool. Uh, to be able to have you on the show and tonight's uh tonight's special show uh i don't know if anyone has seen the post or not but we're going to be talking about uh we're going to be talking about uh burbot fishing tonight with special guest uh kevin fraley and um i'm going to go ahead and open the line here uh, Kevin, give me one second here, and let me get this going here. Uh, let me get the lines open here. I've got both lines open now, and I've also posted the Pulse's direct line on the website. So, Kevin, if you're ready to get out there, let's talk about this. All righty. Looks like I got you calling in. Good evening, Kevin. Good evening, Kevin. Hey, Brett. Can you hear me okay? I can. It's actually uh, clear as a bell tonight. Right on. I can hear you well, too. I got this new headset, so hopefully that'll help. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Kevin, uh, thank you for calling in tonight. And I just want to really, you know, we really want to, appreciate you for you know and thank you for doing what you're doing it's really been uh pretty cool uh, the last talk that we had about the the salmon run um really opened some eyes around here as to you know our our run how it uh how it slowed down this year and you know watching for the signs and knowing how it was you know created that way to where we learned you know, why we were seeing so few this year. And you really educated us on it. And I wanted to let you know that uh, 
I've been getting a lot of feedback on it and uh, really appreciate you doing this. Well, that's great to hear. I'm glad people are uh, enjoying it and I'm, you know, bringing something to the table. I really enjoy tuning into the podcast. I'd say it's the highlight of my week. So <laughs> great. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> we are doing good. We're definitely doing good and glad to have you a part of our, our Anderson family and the communities around here and everyone really enjoys hearing you. Let's see. Awesome. All righty, Kevin. Um, I'm going to go ahead and you wanted me to just uh, open the floor here tonight and um, briefly, you know, uh, whatever you want to talk about. I know you kind of sent me a guideline of what you wanted to talk about tonight for the burbot fishing. And uh, if you want to, uh, I can keep an eye out on the uh, page itself and see if we have any questions. And also we can kind of have a, you know, an open mic while you're on and uh, we can add some phone calls in between or at the end and uh, get some questions answered. How's that sound? That sounds, yeah, that sounds perfect. All righty, Kevin, the floor is yours. Let's let it rip. Okay. Well, before I dive into the, the fish talk, I just had to relate a little uh, Christmas miracle story. Um, so on Saturday, we had, we had our old, uh, yellow lab buck who's 13 and a half years old and deaf. He ran off, uh, out of our backyard and we had kind of back up on a bunch of trails out on the edge of Fairbanks and he was lost for three nights. You know, we, we kind of expected the worst. It was negative 20. And just this evening, right before dark, um, a musher called me and said, Hey, I, f I found your dog, um, you know, still alive, but, but weak, but um, he's okay, and he uh, he brought him to his house, and we went and grabbed him, and he's recovering now. So I just, if I'm a little scatterbrained tonight, I apologize because no, it's been a busy. No, evening. that is our family. <laughs> you know, our fur babies are our family, and I'm sure, you know, a lot of people here in Alaska, they uh, they go along go along with the same thing. You know, if you have pets, they're part of your family, and we sure as heck don't want nothing happening to them. You know, not yeah. to mention they're like kids and don't talk back. <laughs> <laughs> that's true there's advantages there but yeah well, just really happy that we got him back and you know where, where i've had him since area where you um, we live off of gold hill road out towards esther and so oh, there's a lot oh, of oh. um mushing trails and stuff out there and he just right. got out on those and couldn't find his way back but he's okay. you know stayed out those cold nights and, and survived so he was he was yeah. tougher than i yeah. thought oh okay but, but yeah, he's, you know, he, I got him in high school, so he's been kind of a big part of my, my life basically. And so it was a big blow to lose him, but I'm sure glad we got him back. I am too. Well, I'm sure all the, everyone listening here is happy for that happy ending story. Cause right now <laughs> it's not the time to be out roaming around. Although we do, this is our Alaska yeah. life and what we love to do. Well, good. Yeah, for sure. So anyway, I'll I'll uh, launch into the fish talk here, but I apologize if I'm a little scatterbrained about it. But no, yeah. No. So um, so just talking a little bit about burbot since it kind of came up uh, last week as an interest that people had and, and maybe set lining for them. I just uh, I'll just go through a little bit of info on burbot and and some ideas for how you guys can get out and set line and uh, potentially on the Ninana River there or in your area kind of a fun way to to get out and to you know be outside in this time of year it's a good excuse to get out there and, and then see right. a cool fish right. too i really like burbot so definitely um they're pretty neat there so they're the only freshwater cod species that we have um in alaska so they're kind of a, an outlier um you know they're 
evolutionarily, they're really different than all our salmon and whitefish and trout and all that. So they're kind of unique to begin with. And um, they, you can find them in northern North America, in Europe, and in Asia. So they're kind of globally distributed, but in the northern hemisphere, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, which is pretty cool. Uh, they're bottom-dwelling predators and scavengers, and they you pretty much find them in slow-moving rivers and lakes. And they like to eat um, invertebrates, like bugs and that sort of thing, when they're smaller. And then when they get larger, they'll start eating fish um, and anything they can find that's that's smelly and, and yummy to them because um, they've got kind of poor eyesight but a really keen sense of smell. So, so would they be compared to kind of like a catfish? basically yeah that's that's a good analogy yeah they kind of fill like the same um, ecological niche as a, as a catfish in the south where they live near the bottom they really have a good sense of smell but not all good sight um and they even have the little barbell like a catfish does they've got bird have a little barbell on their chin or a little whisker so okay. that helps them smell around um they're most active at night and um they can live for more than than 20 years which is pretty cool so they're kind of a fairly long-lived fish Mm-hmm. And they don't start uh, reproducing until they reach age five or six. So, um, you know, when you're when you're fishing, it's good to let go of the smaller ones because they haven't had a chance to reproduce yet. So it's good to, um, you know, keep the bigger ones, maybe even let the biggest ones go if you can, because they usually produce the most eggs. Although it is hard to pass up that much, you know, nice meat. But right, um, right. yeah, and so they spawn in the winter and or in the spring, kind of under the ice, and big groups of them get together in certain areas. And they call it that, uh, like a burbot spawning ball is what they call it. It's just kind of a big group spawning event. And a, a big burbot can produce more than a million eggs, um, which is pretty pretty crazy. So, And the eggs just kind of drift down the river so, um, or into the, you know, the bottom of the lake. So there's probably kind of low survival for those eggs, which is, you know, there's different strategies that fish use. Like some, um, you know, put a lot of effort into a few eggs and some put kind of not so much effort into a ton of eggs. And so the burbot are kind of in that latter category. Um, but so there's been some, some cool studies in the area, um, but nothing, nothing too recently, but, um, there's a study, I guess in the the eighties and nineties, a couple studies in the Tanana that showed that, uh, burbot can move up to 35 miles, um, you know, over a year. So they basically put radio tags in a number of burbot and then, you know, used an airplane to follow them around, see where they went. Yeah. And found that they they move pretty good pretty good distances um, along the rivers. Like there was even one that was tagged, you know, in the Tanana Chinana Tanana China area, and ended up going down into the Ninana. Um, so they can move around a bit. And then there was one that even moved, you know, up to 158 miles over a year. So there, and the bigger ones move more apparently. But um, so yeah, the the state record burbot for those that are interested is 24 pounds. So that's a pretty nice size burbot. Um, yes. and that was caught, uh, caught out of Lake Louise in 1976. So it's been a while, but, um, and then the world record, uh, for bourbon was caught out of Canada and only one pound more than the Alaska state record, 25 pounds. So the ones in Alaska are pretty good sized. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I guess, so I was looking through another report, the fishing game put out and there's around the Fairbanks area, or they call the Tanana area drainage. Uh, people harvest about 2,000 burbot a year, so it's a pretty popular uh, fishery, especially near Fairbanks. And uh, you know, I don't think too much happens down in Ninana. Um, there were some older studies that said anywhere from like zero to 60 burbot were harvested annually uh, on the Ninana. But of course, that's based on a, a survey, so it only works if the anglers 
um, reply to the survey, right? So it might right. not be super accurate, but um, it seems like there's a little less effort on the Ninana for burbot, which is a good thing. If you're down there and you want to fish, you probably won't have much competition because um, here in Fairbanks, you can, uh, you know, get, people are putting sets pretty close to each other in the, in the accessible areas. So sometimes it can be um, a bit competitive, which isn't too fun, but, you know, you can still catch them. So, right. so yeah, that's a little bit about the, the biology of the burbot. Um, and I'll kind of move into some of the fishing regulations for them before we get into how to set line for them. If that sounds good. Yeah. Move right along. I'm enjoying it. I'm sure everyone. Okay. Yeah. Let me know if there's any questions that come up or if you want me to elaborate on anything. I will. Get rolling here. And, um, all right. So if you're going to go fish for the burbot, you need a sport fishing license. And in the Tanana drainage, you can catch 15 per day and have 15 in possession. And that basically means um, you have to kind of clean the ones that you've caught. If you've got 15, you need to clean them and package them for the freezer or cook them up before you go out and get your next limit the next day. Um, and you can, so basically you can't put out more hooks on your set lines than you have for your bag limit, which makes sense. So you would, only be able to put out 15 hooks across right. your different set lines if you wanted to maximize your, your, um, reg, you know, what you can do within the regulations. Yeah. And an important thing um, to consider is the hook size. If you're set lining, the gap between the point of the hook and the shank has to be larger than three quarters of an inch to be legal. And that's to prevent catching smaller fish like grayling and, and maybe letting some of those smaller burbot get away without being caught because the set lines are kind of, they're, pretty lethal like uh, if you have a fish that's caught on them it's probably going to swallow the bait and have a hook stuck pretty deep in it it'd be pretty hard to catch and release although it's possible so they're you know fishing games trying to i guess limit the catch of non-target species and small burbot so that they can live to reproduce so, so that's that the idea behind it. Hook that what's that is it a single hook is it a treble hook Oh yeah, it has to be a single hook. Good call. Yeah, um, treble hooks. You, is a it's a different regulation. I'm not sure if you can even use bait on a treble hook in the Tanana. Right. Um, it might be. It has to be an even bigger hook size. I'd have to look at that. But that's a very good point. Yeah, it's got to be a single hook. Um, okay. For the three quarter inch gap, you could use this one work for a set line, but you can use um, if you don't have bait on your hook, you can use any size hook basically, but not a treble hook. But of course, a burbot is all about scent, so he's gonna—you're not gonna catch anything on your lines unless you have some bait on there. Right. It's possible to to jig them up. Sometimes, you know, they'll they'll attack movement, um, or they'll be able to see it a little bit. But it's pretty uncommon to be able to find one and get it to bite unless you have some bait. So. Right. Okay. So yeah. Um, and then uh, your set lines have to be labeled with your name and address. I usually like to put my phone number on there too, just in case somebody needs to get a hold of me quickly for whatever reason. And um, then you have to, you're required to check your lines at least every 24 hours, which okay. um, can be tough, you know, because we all have things going on. So what I like to do is, you know, set lines for a couple days at a time and then go ahead and rest them, pull them out, and then maybe try again the next week. That way I don't burn out my you know, my ambition and make sure I, I stay legal by checking them every 24 hours. Right. So that's just how I do it. Some people, you know, if you're retired or if you're working from home, maybe checking them every 24 hours for 30 days straight is no problem. But for me, I, I kind of need to, you know, set uh, just a few days at a time, basically. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then one final note, if you're using, 
sport fish for bait you can't use like the meat or the you know the parts that you're allowed that you're supposed to harvest from them like if you like the other day i went to birch lake and caught some trout well i wouldn't be able to use the meat or anything off those but you can use the head the guts and the tail of those sport caught fish for bait for your burbot um, set lines which is kind of a good way to uh to reuse those um those fish make sure you get the most out of them if you're catching other fish while ice fishing or whatever yeah so that's um, the fishing regulations in a nutshell. And I would definitely, if you're going to go out, check the, the actual regs online and make sure I didn't miss anything because sometimes you almost have to be a lawyer to, to right. know everything yeah. that you need to do. So I've like read when I first the regulation that's, uh, yeah, it's like reading Japanese stereo instructions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, the bourbon ones are like, are fairly uncomplicated compared to some like the King salmon regulations for south central alaska where you can only fish certain days only during certain times of the day certain dates so bourbon aren't that complicated but still you got to be conscientious about that because it's easy to to kind of forget one of these little items um and then you don't want a, an expensive ticket or something so okay yeah um so then so just before i get into how the set lining works i'm just going to briefly talk about ice safety because that's kind of a, an important thing especially if you're going out on rivers and um brett you and i talked about this a little bit uh, when i called in the other day but yeah. making sure that you that you're safe out there when you're when you're out there doing this and so i've got some recommendations for that that i'll go over here okay. um so i would say if you if at all possible try to go out during daylight hours it's just so much easier to see where things are um, to identify any open water or hazards that might be there and for people to find you if, if you need to be found. Right. Um, and I'd always say, try to go with a friend. You know, if you're going out on snow machines, try to each take a snow machine. That way you got a backup or you got somebody who can go for help if something happens. Um, and you know, that's not always possible. You know, for me, I'm, I'm kind of a, a nut that I like to go out and fish too much and so not everybody not all my friends really want to join me for that so sometimes i'm out by myself but um yeah so if you can bring a buddy and then try to stay on established snow machine trails or where tracks have already crossed if possible i try to do that i know that's that's maybe a little bit maybe i'm a little bit of a chicken but i like to let the the crazy people you know um, test the ice and i try to stay on the trails that are already there for the most part no i'm right and, there uh, believe it or not yeah. <laughs> and most of the time that's possible maybe not so much on the ninana because i'm not sure how much snowmobile traffic or people are out there skiing or hiking or whatever along the river but for the tanana we have you know a lot of traffic on the river with snowmobiles and stuff and even dog teams and that so it's easier but yeah i would always I would say try to stay on those established trails or near them if you can um if you're really worried or you're kind of like it's early in the season you can bring a long stick or even the little spikes to escape the water. If you do fall in, you know, if you have a stick mm -hmm. that kind of bridges the gap in the hole that you fall, fall in, um, or you can get these, they actually make spikes that go around your neck on a little cord and you can pull them apart and claw your way out and, you know, you stick the spikes into the ice and pull your way out with your arms. Or you can just take two old screwdrivers and attach them together uh, with a cord and have them around your neck. And those can be used the same way. Okay. And always leave a plan with family or friends, kind of tell them when you're going, when you expect to come back, um, how they can reach you if something happens. That's, you know, saved a lot of people. If they've left a plan with somebody, at least the searchers know where to start looking for you if, if something goes wrong. Exactly. And then um, another good idea is if you have these things to carry one of those GPS locator beacons, like a spot or a Garmin inReach. 
And yep. I've got one of those. They're pretty nice. You know, even if you don't have cell service, you can text your, your family or your friends or send out an SOS signal if, if you need to. And so that's, you know, if you're really worried, you're going out alone and you got like, you know, my wife worries about me a little bit. So I, I try to bring that out when I can mm-hmm. um, so that she knows that I'm not drowning or something. But um, yeah, so that, that that's a good idea. And then if you're going to be out on a, like an ATV or a snowmobile or even driving your car out on the ice, um, you might want to check uh, fishing game and other agencies publish like these ice thickness charts that kind of tell you how much ice you need to be safe using a snowmobile or a car or whatever. Yeah. And so you can, before you go out on the ice, you can drill a hole um, in the ice and then see if you've got enough ice to, to go out there with whatever transport you're using. And I would say wear a helmet if you can, when you're out there on a power, power equipment, because that ice is hard, you know, and if you fall and hit your head and then fall in the water, you're kind of done for. So it's yeah. uh, good to have that helmet on. And I, I have, so I have a story where it was really important to have a helmet. I was, uh, so I was checking set lines on the Chena river, <clears throat> the lower Chena river and just cruising along in the snow machine. And it was after dark. I didn't have the opportunity to go during daylight, unfortunately, but I had a friend on the back of the machine. I was showing him how to set line. And all of a sudden we, we noticed we were like off the main trails and then all the steam came up in front of the headlights. And all of a sudden we were skipping on the water. Like we hit the water, open water. Um, yeah. And so, you know, I freaked out. I, I, you gotta, you gotta hit the throttle if that happens. If you're going a certain speed, you can skip on the water. Right. Um, but right. the the problem was at the end of the, the open section was this lip, really, um, like maybe four inch yeah. lip from the from the water to the ice. Yeah. And so we hit that, and both of us just went flying. Um, you know, the snow machine went on its side. I was, you know, I flew forward, landed in the snow. Friend did the same thing, and you know, we both had helmets, and that probably saved us there um it could have been a lot worse so i personally you know i always try to wear one when i'm out there just because of that experience but um hopefully that'll you know inspire some people on top of it oh yeah and a heated i'm a happy that's smart (laughs) yeah that's very smart so so yeah um and then you know also i'd say just check ice regularly in front of you if you're like walking out bring a, a broomstick or a sharp iron bar or a shovel and just kind of hit the ice in front of you to test the thickness. Obviously if it punches through, don't keep walking forward. Um, And then I look out for like areas of steam or places where the snow is kind of slumped in on itself or it's looking yellowish. And those places I avoid because that could be where the current under the ice is kind of cutting away at the ice and there might be some open water you could fall in that's just lurking under the snow and that's not a good situation. So those are my ice safety tips before we get into set lining. I just think that's important. I'm sure everyone does. Even though we've uh, all lived in winter surroundings for years and years and years, it's uh, very easy to get complacent and start forgetting about those little things. Exactly. uh, Safety definitely becomes a factor. So, no, thank you for bringing that up. And, uh, you know, for, for us that are out and about, I'm one of those that loves the outdoors. I can care if it's... 40 below out i'm still out playing around doing something one way uh, that's awesome you know but uh it seems like the older i get the more i want to be outside which is kind of strange but anyway <laughs> yes. yeah that goes that goes against the grain of what a lot of people exactly. do you know that's cool exactly but thank you for the ice safety tips um i'm sure uh, that brings up uh a lot of things and i'm sure our listeners you know will take that to heart because like i said you know, there's times where we do get complacent and we do forget about just the little things. 
and it's those little things that could turn into a major disaster. So definitely yeah. good points. All yeah, right. absolutely. You know, as I get older, I tend to think more about the consequences of my actions. So I think more and more about safety. <laughs> yeah, we, we do that as the older we get, we kind of do, you know, until yeah. I think we hit around the mid sixties, then it turns backwards again. <laughs> <laughs> All right. yeah. Great tips. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so I'll just go start going into how I do my set lining and, you know, there's some different, um, techniques and, and I sent that, that, um, fishing game video around. Hopefully some people saw that they went over a couple of different, um, methods to use for your, for your set lines, but I'd recommend watching that. Um, if no, if you haven't seen it and what I do is I do the, I get like a broom handle or a stout stick and, uh, cut it to about 20 inches and then I tie about 20 feet of parachute cord to the middle of the stick and then roll the, the cord up along the stick. Um, and then that stick uh, rests on the surface of the ice, kind of spans the gap over the hole that you'll drill to put your line down. And then you put a weight on the end of that with your hooks. And um, so you want to at attach a heavy weight. Uh, a lot of people get like the one pound halibut weight so you can get at Sportsman's Warehouse, but those are kind of expensive. So in the past, I've used railroad spikes, uh, even a tow hitch from a truck <laughs> to get the, the stuff down there. So any anything that's kind of heavy and, and can sink your, you just want your line to sit right on the bottom, um, that'll work. So you guys are along the railroads. So if you see so many, you know, discarded railroad spikes, those are great for that if you can attach them to your line. But um, yep, so the, and then usually I put one to two hooks at the end of the line, um, at the end of the parachute cord and I attach those with swivels and then I either use like a wire leader from the swivel or some thick monofilament line between uh, the parachute cord and the hook. Okay. Uh, and then uh, what I like to use are the, well, I've, I've tried, I've kind of experimented with different hooks. You know, there's octopus hooks, J hooks, circle hooks. Mm -hmm. And of course you want to make sure you have that hook with the gap large enough, the three quarter inch gap to keep right. it legal. But um, usually what I use are the, the J hooks or the octopus hooks. But the circle hooks can work sometimes. You just need to make sure they're really sharp. Okay. Um, and you can, you know, it's worth like putting some different types of hooks on each different set and then seeing which ones are, are more productive and then going with, with that. I think everybody's got different ideas if you talk to a burbot fisherman on which hooks are the best. But, right. Um, yep. Yeah, and then so also, so I use like a sandwich bag where I put a, just a piece of paper with my name and address to keep my set legal. And then I electrical tape that to the stick um, with the cord on it. And, um, then, yeah, that's basically how you set up your lines. Um, how long then, a meter do you use from the paracord? Um, it's a, I don't think it matters too much because burbot, like I said, aren't super sight oriented. So if they smell the bait. They're probably going to bite it no matter what. But, you know, sometimes I haven't even used a leader where I just, um, right tie the hook the directly onto the, yeah, right onto the paracord. If I'm lazy or I don't have a leader with me and that, right. that's catches them. But I think having a swivel on there helps because, when the sets in the current, it kind of spins and, the, and it moves the hooks around. If you have a right. swivel and a leader on there, it kind of keeps it from tangling up too much. But I don't think the bird mind, you know, too much either way. That's just probably, you know, more for my peace of mind than, than uh, any, any real reason why I do that. Right. Okay. Um, and then if you, if you're in an area where there's a lot of pike or something that now you would use the, the wire leader just so you don't lose a bunch of your, your gear. Right, because uh, they they all sometimes get on there, and I'll talk about what you what you do if you catch something that's not a burbot in a little bit. But um, yeah, and then so for baiting your lines, the people say the best bait is either whitefish or lamprey because they're food that, they're fish that a burbot would naturally find in the Tanana or Ninana. 
Um, okay. And so they like those those baits. And you can buy whitefish and lamprey from the sportsman's warehouse, or you can uh, you know go spear whitefish yourself or whatever. Um, those are the kind of the premier bait. They're kind of expensive or hard to, to get a hold of, but um, herring or even chicken, you know, fried chicken or hot dogs, anything smelly you can put on there because burbot are, um, right. they're not too picky. So uh, even one time I, I used the head of a burbot that I'd caught, um, you know, the previous trip, just kept the head and put that on a hook and I caught an even bigger burbot on the head. So <laughs> there you go. So I like to reuse the, you know, the animals or the fish that I catch. It's always good to, to use, use them to the maximum amount. Right. Um, so that's, yeah. So bait, that's what I would use there. And then, uh, kind of for the gear that you need, if you're going to go out there to set line, I would bring a snow shovel so you can get the clear, the, the ice so you can drill your hole. And then also you're going to, um, put uh, snow over the set so that it insulates it and doesn't freeze shut. Mm-hmm. You're going to need like an ice auger or something to get through the ice. Um, and then maybe a slush scoop. I usually bring like a tire iron hatchet or a little ice chipper to chip the edges of the hole. Once I, you know, if you leave it for 24 hours, it's going to freeze in a little bit or there'll be a little crust on it. So I use those to chip around, around the paracord to get it out. And then, you know, probably a bag or a bucket for your bait or anything you catch some pliers or heavy duty pliers are always good. I usually bring some extra hooks because sometimes the hook can get stuck in a burbot and you're not gonna be able to get it out easily. And so you can just, it's no fun trying to get a hook out of a burbot when your hands are cold and stuff. So it's just easier to put a new hook on sometimes. And then I'll usually bring an extra set line in case something gets tangled or severed or just, you know, something goes to to heck, then I can just put in a new set and everything's ready to go. Um, And of course your mode of transport, whether you're walking, snowmobiling, uh, whatever you're, however you're getting out to where you're putting your sets. So those are the, those are the things you need. Not too much gear. It's not nothing too expensive except maybe the ice auger, which they can be expensive unless you have a hand auger. Um, but that takes a lot of, of gumption to drill through, you know, three or four feet of, of river ice. So definitely. Um, and then so cutting your kids or grandkids. That's, that's a good point. That's another good reason to bring a buddy, get them, you know, employ them for that drilling, get them, get them put to, put to work there. Right. Very good point. Um, and then so to how to install your set, you bait your line and then just drop the weight down the hole and that'll take the hooks down with it. You kind of unfurl the line off your stick until it reaches the bottom and then roll up the slack um, of the parachute cord onto the stick and then place it on the surface of the ice so it straddles the hole. And you want to try to keep the cord in the center of the hole so it doesn't freeze in on the edge because um, the center will be the, you know, the la- last place to freeze over, basically. Right. And then you shovel snow over the hole. I usually do that until I have a mound um, over the set that's a few feet high. You just cover it with like the fluffiest snow you can get and just completely bury it. Um, open water, you know, the open hole and everything just under the snow. And then I set a, like a large stick in the mound of snow and sometimes I'll add flagging you know, to that, that stick that's, that's basically sticking upright so that you can see it when you come back. And then also other people can see it. So they don't run over your set or something if they are on a snow machine. Um, and then I usually like to check the, like a landmark near the sets so I can remember my location or mark, even mark the spot on the GPS or phone. And the reason I do that is because if it gets real windy on the, on the um, river there, or if you get a lot of snow, those sets can be pretty hard to find. So I try to really mark them carefully because I don't want to like leave a bunch of fish on a line that I don't find or leave a bunch of gear in the water. That's never a good, a good thing. So, right. 
so yeah that's kind of how to do it and then so i can i'll just talk a little bit about where to install a set like how to to uh, pick a location if that sounds okay. good yeah let me probably... know if i'm blathering on too much here but no no believe it or not there are a lot of people in alaska uh since that last talk that we had um like i said i get messages quite a bit and there's a there's a lot of people that have even though they've been here most of their life, have never even fished for a burbit. So, wow. um, surprising, yes. I mean, their grandfather did when they were kids, or, you know, even they did when they were kids. But, you know, span has gone so long that they kind of forget about it that it's even there. So, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah and I guess there's sometimes, well, you know, I think it was Susan that posted some, that recipe where it talked about how some people kind of overlook burbit as a good fish to eat right so there's that kind of stigma for some people too they think they're gross or slimy you're not good to eat but um you know once i started trying them i, I loved it you know poor man's lobster is what it's called but yeah exactly. but yeah they are hard to catch unless you uh, you know put those set lines out there or, or kind of fish for bait with bait so i could see how people might not catch too many like i grew up in montana and there's burbot in montana there but i never did catch one first burbot i caught was in alaska so yeah it's they're, they're, yeah, they can be a tough fish to find, I guess. You got to have the right area. But um, yeah, so where you want to install your set. So you look for like slow moving deep sections of a river. They'll even be in shallow areas too, but they really seems like sloughs and pools um, are good places to, to set them. And then like you can, I don't know, if, I, if I've got a snowmobile, I might pick three or four locations and then put a couple sets at each location at different depths. Uh -huh. um, usually where a, another stream comes in is a good spot because you got you kind of maximize your coverage of fish that might be traveling in and out of either stream um, and yeah and then those deep pools are good anywhere where the river's just slowing down because the bourbon aren't going to spend a lot of time in fast moving water they're kind of sluggish fish they're not super they don't swim very fast they're not like a salmon where they can motor up um, fast moving water so they like to hang out in areas where they can conserve their energy and because Corner, they're so shell corners shelves anywhere slow pretty yeah hard. okay yeah anywhere out of that main current like a slough right where the slough joins the main current or a big pool or something so one way to find that is kind of look at it's kind of tough with our glacial rivers because you can't see how deep places are very easily but um you can look at google earth images and kind of say oh this looks like it's moving slow here here's a nice slough or here's a creek that flows in and then you can choose those areas to drill holes and try fishing um and so, you know, those burbot have such a good sense of smell that they'll, that the scent of your bait will drift down river and they'll, they can come from quite a ways away to, to get your bait. So as long as you got a good location, you got a chance. Um, and then if you don't have an ac any action on your lines after you check it once, I usually move it like with maybe within locations, put it deeper, put them out deeper or, or just try a new location um, and kind of mix things up to maximize your, your opportunities. So I was, I was thinking about um, like likely locations near Anderson where, where you could fish for them. And I know, so one of the photos I posted on the page was like right where the Ninana goes into the Tanana. So I know you can catch them there because a friend did catch a couple there. That's a good spot. Um, any, any spot where like a small stream might enter the Ninana. So I was thinking, you know, I floated Julius Creek in the summer and there's a really nice um, kind of deep, hole right where that goes into the Nana, but that's a fair ways downstream from Anderson. That'd be a pretty good snowmobile ride, but somewhere like that would be good. Um, and then any of the sloughs kind of off the main channel. Right. I was even thinking like the, the highway crossings of, of like fish Creek or Julius Creek. Cause those are kind of slow moving and deep. That might be good spots to, to try. Um, 
or somewhere from the Jack Coghill Bridge or somewhere where the railroad goes along the river. I don't know, but there's a lot of opportunities there, I think, to try. So okay. I'm not sure how far the burbot go up the Nunana because, you know, once you get towards Healy, there's some really fast-moving current and really rapids. fast-moving water, yeah. Yeah. And we do have a lot and, of schools out here in Anderson that branch off the Nunana itself, so it may yeah. be a good shot as long as it's deep enough. Exactly, as long as it's connected to the main river so they could swim into it, and then as long as it's deep enough, it doesn't you know freeze to the bottom, but it's worth a try putting lines wherever. I don't think you'll have much competition out there. So. Nope. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so those are my just my off-the-cuff ideas for the Anderson area. And then just a few notes for when you check your line. You Basically, you shovel the snow off your set. You kind of chip um, the ice around the edges of the hole to make, and make sure you don't cut the parachute cord. I've had that happen before, which is a bummer. Um, with your chipper or whatever, and then you slowly pull up on the line and kind of feel for a fish. You kind of feel like a, a throbbing movement, or sometimes if you catch a pike on there, it'll be jerking around. Um, and if it's a big fish, you might have to fight it a little bit. So don't try to horse it up through the hole. Um, you know, just slowly bring it up. If you feel resistance, don't try to to pull too hard, or you might break off a hook, or or the you know, the, or you, the fish might get free. Um, yeah. and if you got a really big fish, you might have to chip your hole wider out to get its head through the hole. That's also happened to me before. So yeah, one time, uh, I had a, a bourbon in there so big, I had to, um, I had to leave, go back and get a, a big ice saw and then drill a new hole, saw a little channel over to the new hole, move the line over into that and then pull it out of the new hole. So, uh, it's worth, if you've got a really big fish, it's worth putting a little time and not trying to horse it up through the hole or break it off. Right. Um, and then, yeah. And then if you have, if you have the ability, I always rebate my hooks with fresh bait every day if possible. Um, you know, that, that might get a little expensive if you're buying your bait, but if you have a lot to spare, it's always good to get fresh bait on there to get stronger, better scent better, in the water. Better. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And then I, what I like to do is drill a new hole every time because every time, every day that passes by that hole will freeze in a little bit and you're not going to be able to chip it out completely. So I'll take my auger and I'll drill a new hole right next to the old one so that I've got a, a you know, wide, clean um, hole to, to reset the set in so that it won't freeze in. Because that's a bummer when it freezes in, you can't get it out. I've had that happen to me a few times, but um, yeah, that's, that sucks. You lose your gear and, and you know any fish that's on there. So you don't want that to happen. Yeah. Cool. Um, so kind of moving along, dealing with your catch. Usually I just knock the, the fish on the head with a stick or just cut into the, like the hard area to kill a, a burbot. And then, you know, if it's a smaller fish, you could consider trying to release it. If the hook isn't in too deep, if you've got some good pliers, you can usually get in there and grab the hook and pull it out. Um, it's worth a try if the fish is pretty small and, and or if you've got enough fish, you don't need to keep more. You know, it's always good to, to do that to conserve the resource because maybe you'll catch them later on when they're bigger. Definitely. And, um, and then, like, what I like to do is remove the – if you've got a dead fish you're keeping – you got to, you can take the hook out of it or you can just put a, a new hook on there with bait and it, they're a pretty tough fish. So it's sometimes it's hard to kill them. Always make sure you, you get them away from the hole so they don't slip back into it. Cause that can happen. Right. Um, right. And if you're, you're cleaning the burbot, a lot of people like to just kind of cut the skin up the belly around the gill covers and then down either side of the dorsal fin, just slit the skin. And then you can use pliers to just peel the skin right off because it's really thin. It's not like your salmon or, or whitefish where you got a lot of thick skin you need to fillet off. Right. And then you just kind of carve the meat off either side of the fish after you pulled that, that skin off there. Um, and Fishing Game has another great YouTube video on how to do that. If you click on the one that I, I shared to the Pulse, it should suggest that, that um, fish cleaning or burbot cleaning video 
um, in the in YouTube there. So that's a good one to look at if you want some pointers and, and a visual way to, to see how it's done. Okay. Um, and then it was good that Susan posted, uh, you know, a recipe for brew. I, I haven't seen that one or tried that recipe, but it sounds really good. Yeah. Um, so, but usually the way I, I cook them is just bread and fry them. And, you know, some people do like the really fluffy breading um, to deep fry them. I like kind of more crispy, um, almost cornmeal consistency breading. You can get seafood breading at the store that's, that's spicy. And, and that's usually what I do. Dip the, the filet, bits of the filet and a little bit of egg and then in that breading and then fry them. Uh, but you can, you know, you can fry them and make fish tacos. You can bake, bake them, make chowder out of them, even smoke them if you wanted to. So lots of, and they're really yeah, good. They're very you know, mild fish. I'm not exactly. a I'm a fisher. I love to fish. I'm not a big fan <laughs> of eater. The, the fish taste to me just don't get along. But I do gotcha. eat burbot. Because burbot is mild. There's not hardly anything. You know, I've had it boiled, of course, with a little salt and sugar. And had it dipped in butter to the lobster mm -hmm. style. And yeah. it was flat out amazing. The texture of it is pretty darn close. You know? Yeah. I mean, it's just like a cod or halibut, really. I mean, it's related to a cod, so that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So cool. That's pretty much, you know, most of what I had to talk about. I'll just have a few other notes um, to add on to all that. But so, like I mentioned earlier, if you catch a pike or another non target species, yeah, like I don't know what else you catch other than a pike, maybe a shefish or a grayling. That'd be pretty unlikely, but um, they have to actually be released if they're on a burbot set line, even if they're dead, which is unfortunate. Nobody likes doing that, but per the regulations, if you have a dead pike on there, you got to throw it back down the hole, which seems wasteful. But that's just so that you know um, people aren't encouraged to, uh, I guess, kill those fish if they catch them because they're a non-target species. Right. Um, and then another fun thing is if you catch a burbot over eight pounds, you can take it into Fish and Game to get it weighed for a trophy certificate, uh, which is kind of fun. You get a little certificate from Fish and Game. You, you still get to keep the fish, of course, and, and eat it, but you just bring, can bring it in there frozen, and they'll measure it and weigh it. And if it's over eight pounds, you get a, a cool certificate to put on the wall. So wow, I've got a, cool. one of those, which is fun to display. Um, yeah. And then there's, there's also something that Fish and Game does calls a catch and release certificate. Um, if you catch a burbot that's 32 inches or longer, you can take a picture of it alongside a tape measure if you want to release it and you'll get a certificate uh, for like a trophy catch and release burbot, which is cool. Oh, that's uh, neat. Okay. So yeah. And I just wanted to note that it's kind of funny, but I, I first met my wife while I was out on a burbot set line. So was, it can be a great way to, <laughs> to meet your future wife apparently. But uh, uh, she's, she's from Georgia. So she's never really, she never really experienced ice fishing before she came out on this line, you know, a friend of a friend brought her along and we caught this big 10 pound burbot. And, you know, we, you know, battered it on the head and, and killed it there and we're preparing it for eating. And she was a bit traumatized, but it must not have been too bad because, you know, everything worked out in the end. There so. she is. And now fish is with you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She, she'll fish if the, uh, you know, if the fishing's not too slow. She likes to at least get a bite now and then. So, right. But, but yeah, so it's a great, it's a great way to get outside, bring the whole family out, pets, everything like that. It's a cool way to get out and, and see stuff in the winter. That's burbot set lining. And yeah. if people yeah. want more info, there's those great fishing game videos. Um, fishing game also has a what they call a burbot species profile online, and that just talks about the biology of the burbot. Goes into detail if anybody wants more info on that. Okay. So that's pretty much all I had to say on the the burbot. And if there's any questions, I'd be happy to take those. And then I just wanted to um, just comment briefly about the upcoming drone filming I'm I'm planning uh, in Healy this weekend. So okay. Um. Does anyone have any questions out there that I'd like to throw out there? 
Well, uh, we have Kevin on the line about burbot fishing. Um, you can uh, type it there on the screen, or uh, you can actually call in if you want to by using the app or the phone line, the direct line. I can post that there again on the screen here. Um, the pulse line here, 360-207-0477. Uh, has anyone got any questions about uh, burbot fishing since we have Kevin on the line here? I probably scared them all off with all my <laughs> blathering on. <laughs> I doubt that very seriously. <laughs> Lines are open. We'll go ahead and give it a few minutes. And uh, uh, like I said, the app is open. Call line for the app is open. And also the Pulse phone number is open right now. You're welcome to call in. Um, and while we're waiting, uh, Kevin, you want to talk to us? Uh, uh, let's see. There's a question on the screen. How long do you have to leave the line soaked before checking it? That's actually a good question. Yeah, uh, good question. Um, so, you know, you have to check it within 24 hours, but um, sometimes you can get a, a fish on the line if there's a lot moving around or you're in a good spot, you know, with an hour or even less of setting them out. So I was fishing a slough on the Chena River back in, I think it was October, late October, and um I put out some bourbon lines intending to check them the next day and I was fishing for pike, caught some pike and stuff. And then I just thought, Oh, maybe I'll check the lines before I leave, you know, a few hours after I put them out and there was a bourbon on there. So sometimes it can be quick. You know, I would definitely, if you're out fishing or doing something else or on your way back after you've set some lines, check your ones you put in if you feel like it. And sometimes there's something on there. Okay. Good idea. So there's not really a time set. Of course, the longer the soak, the better chance you have. Um, yeah, usually, unless unless the fish for somehow you know gets caught and then struggles for a long time and gets off, that's possible right, too. But right. okay, but you can definitely pick your line up and you'll be able to tell, you know, if you've got something on there. I'm sure you'll feel usually towards the bottom. Yeah, the bottom. yeah. Usually, they're not real good fighters. If it's a small one, or if it sometimes they're they're dead when you pull them up. Like I'm not sure the hook maybe gets them somewhere and they bleed out but once in a while that'll happen and then you it might feel a little heavier but sometimes you don't notice they're on there until you pull like it up pulling up a log yeah <laughs> <laughs> i can remember back in the day um i grew up in a little town of uh, big bear lake california in the mountains and our biggest thing was during the day was fishing for carp oh yeah uh, and we used to fish for carp we'd go in Generally, the afternoon, sit on one of the, you know, one of the jetties or um, sometimes one of the dikes. We'd fish for carp. And, of course, then there we were allowed, back then, we were allowed to use them for catfish bait at night. And um, what we had left over, because well, sometimes we would just pile on the carp, you know, big piles of it. And, uh, of course, we had some families in the area that did love carp and, uh um, they would come by and of course we'd give them, you know, quite a few of them, but afterward, you know, generally we'd have quite a few carp left over and there was not a, you know, there was not a target amount of carp that you could keep. And, uh, we would usually swing by the next day, uh, to the zoo and, uh, feed the bears there. Uh, 
So they oh, got cool. our leftover carp. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, well, that's a good. I mean, so those carp are non-native. You know, they're they're from Eurasia. Right. So right. any you're helping native fish by harvesting them. So exactly. I think wherever you are in the states, it's always encouraged to keep them, and you and it's always good to use them if you can. Like right, you know, in Montana, um, I've actually participated in uh, bow fishing tournaments for carp, where you're you're shooting okay. carp with bow and arrow. They usually just use them for, you know, give them to farmers for fertilizer in the field. Fertilizer. I know, yeah, I know some people eat them, although the old joke is, you know, the best way to cook a carp, bake one on a, a cedar shingle, throw away the carp and eat the shingle. Exactly. <laughs> 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 but yeah, that, that was the fun. The fun was catching them, of course, when you're a kid. You know, the average carp was 10 pounds minimum, you know. and That's uh, a nice one. Oh yeah, they, they'd go anywhere from ten to thirty pounds. You'd be able to yank them out, and um, you know they were they were so they were so thick in our lake. You know, half the time you could snag them, you could throw out and just start snagging and grab one by the tail and yank one in. And I didn't say that, but you know we were kids <laughs> anyway. <laughs> good size number two treble hook and a little <laughs> head, and away you went. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah definitely definitely all right so talk to us about your upcoming uh drone stuff that you got going on that yeah really interesting yeah so this is pretty cool so there's these um dwarf dolly varden trout so you know you, you see photos of those nice big dolly varden trout like on the kenai and whatnot well right. um there's those big ones don't exist in the yukon but there's the like the whole yukon drainage but there's these little tiny dwarf ones that um just stay in the small What's that? I saw the pictures. I, yeah. Yes, definitely. Yeah, I posted cool. a posted a couple of them. They almost look like little brook trout if you're you know familiar with them from the East Coast. But right. they're pretty colorful little guys. They're pretty neat little fish, and they're kind of um, rare, I guess you could say, or uncommon in the area. They're not in every stream. They're kind of scattered here and there, um, and they only grow to about ten inches long. And there's not much known about their distribution or their biology or anything about them. So. I think it'll be fun to to try to film them. So I know a stream um, just north, or yeah, just north of Healy, where I've caught them in the fall um, on the fly rod. And so I know there, where there's one kind of deep pool where I think they're all overwintering because this stream basically uh, freezes to the bottom. So there's only a few places where they could spend the winter. It'd be a pretty tough um, right. stuff in there. Not a lot of oxygen, kind of crowded. So I, I want to send in the drone and see what the conditions are for them in there if I can find any. Uh, but why they're of interest you know and the, um it's just they're they're kind of neat fish kind of a anomaly because there's not many dolly varden in the yukon drainage and uh -huh. maybe someday you know if things change they might be kind of the little seed populations of big anadromous uh, dollies that'll go out to sea and, and you know swim along the yukon or something who knows so it's just interesting to think about how they got there and what you know um, you know, how they interact with other species. So I just kind of want to learn more about them. And the filming um, that we're going to do is like the, the film will, will be used for kind of outreach or natural science videos for the wildlife conservation society, which that's who I work for in Fairbanks. I'm a fisheries ecologist for the wildlife conservation society. And um, so we're planning on making some kind of little short films to post on social media that feature different, different fish around the area. So those are okay. one of the ones we're going to, focus on well make but, sure you get us those links when they're once they're up post them yeah up. i'll try to do that <laughs> so I'm, I'm probably gonna go down on saturday but i was thinking um you know while i swing by i might uh drill a couple holes like in fish creek or julius creek at the highway crossings and drop some set lines in 
okay. then if, if anybody's interested, I'll probably swing by the Clear Sky Lodge after I come back from Healy if anybody wants to check out the set lines. The yeah. invitation is open for um, anybody that wants to, you know, you could drive up to those highway crossings and like, right. see if anything, we could see if anything uh, bit them during the day and you can kind of see the setup and, and how it works. But okay. I'll just leave that invitation out there. I'll Maybe I'll email Brett with, um, you know, my plan when I'll be at Clear Sky and all that. And that would anybody's be awesome. interesting. So. Yeah. Matter of fact, you can give me a holler too. Um, definitely. Uh, I'm interested. I know that. Uh, cool. This stuff is really, really exciting. I did see a question that popped up here on the uh, on the site here. Why do the dwarf Dolly Varden not have pink spots? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, well, you know, they, so they change color throughout the year. In the fall time is when they're spawning, so that's when they're most colorful. And that second photo I posted kind of shows one that's, you know, in its spawning coloration. The rest of the year they might be kind of drab. And it's hard to say um, what drives the colors that you see. A lot of times a fish is kind of blending in with its environment. So in this creek I'm thinking of, it's kind of the, the water is kind of brown and it's not super clear. And so I think they're just blending in. They're a little bit more drab than the ones you might find elsewhere. Like um, I went up on the North Slope this, this fall and caught some, you know, sea run Dolly Varden. It's just brilliant. The colors there, you know, green, blue, pink, red, um, dark green. They're just incredible, uh, the coloration on those. So each, I think each stream is different and probably there's some genetic diversity there, some genetic some adaptation, maybe yeah. surroundings. Yeah, I guess you don't want to be too bright if you're kind of a little 10-inch Dolly Varden because you might get right. eaten by a burbot or a big grayling or, you know, whatever, a, a predator in the air. So it, it probably Definitely. pays to not be too colorful if you're that small. Right. Whereas the ones up north are so big, nothing can really eat them. Right. Let's see. Okay, uh, here's one on here. I've seen the gray with pink spots down the Kenai Peninsula. Didn't know they came in other colors. Well, there you yeah. go. <laughs> yeah. Some of them, you know, if they, so some Dolly Varden go to the ocean. Um, those ones can look like salmon. They, they can be really, really silvery and bright and chrome. Okay. Since I got you on the line, I got a question for you. Sure. My question is, how many of the creeks have you run off like the Denali Highway? What's the one? The Brushanka Creek? Is that what it's oh, called? Oh, yeah. Brushkana? Oh, Brush Canna. I couldn't remember. Yeah. It's been a long time. I mean, I've driven by there a few times on my motorcycle in the summertime and, you know, taking the Denali Highway. So what kind of species are you going to find in there besides, you know, the normal like grayling and, you know, are these the kind of things are the dwarf, you know, are are they going to be in that that creek? That's a good question. I, I don't really know. You know, there's no good database that shows where they are. There's just a few streams that people know where they're at, uh, mostly like in the Delta and Ninana drainages. But, right. you know, a lot of your Denali Highway is flowing into the, well, it depends on where you are. But, yeah, the Brush Canna flows into the Ninana, so it's possible there could be some in there. I right. fished it a fair bit. Um, I've only caught grayling, but one of my uh, friends guided down there okay. uh, out of Cantwell, and... Um, I think he did say that he might have caught a, a couple of those dwarf Dolly Varden. So they're, you know, maybe they move around a little bit. They're kind of exploring. I'll have to ask him about that and check. But 
I, right. I do remember him saying that there's a few that he found there, but yeah. So that Denali highway, you know, some of the, the creeks flow down into the Susitna, um, some flow down into the Delta river on the, the far right. side, the Paxson side, and then some are going into the Nenana. So it really depends on where they're flowing as to what fish you find there, but pretty much there's grayling in all of them. Um, and then if it's in the Susitna drainage, it's possible there's, you know, rainbow trout maybe, or even some really brave salmon that they do make it up through the Devil's Canyon occasionally. So right. um, I don't think you can fish for them up that high, but yeah. Um, and then lake trout in the lakes and there's burbot in most of those rivers and lakes as well. Yeah. So I've, I haven't done a ton of fishing there, a little bit of fly fishing for grayling uh, and then, so this last summer we floated uh, from the Tangle Lakes down the Delta River, you know, the Wild and Scenic River, right. um, down to the, the highway overnight float on that. And we did catch a couple of lake trout on that float. So, yeah, there's there's some good fishing to be had down there. Okay, cool. That's stuff that, uh, I, believe me, you got a friend for life now in me. So I'm going to be hitting up with a ton of questions. <laughs> hey, bring them on. I'm, I'm happy to, to share as long as it's not one of my secret spots. There you go. Well, I would never give that information out because they'll probably <laughs> tag along sometime. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. All righty. Any other questions we have out there? Um, you're welcome to uh, – we've got quite a bit of interaction on the screen here. You can also uh, – while I've got Kevin on the phone here, I can add you in. You can call in on the app or on the uh, Pulse line. Uh, anyone have anything that they'd like to uh, ask questions about? Also, uh, feel free, you know, if you have any questions or answers or anything that you'd uh, like to bring up on the show, um, you can always contact me here, you know, through email at the Paulson Anderson and Nina at gmail.com. But, uh, Anyone else got anything, any highlights they want to talk about? Uh, anything else that they, this is for one, for me has been very interesting talking to you, Kevin. Um, I love these kind of interviews and I love learning about our stuff and our biology. And of course, uh, anything that has to do with the ecology of Alaska just uh, really gets me excited and going, uh, which is kind of a thing that has been falling away to the wayside lately um you know uh our kids have uh i brought this up i'm sure you i matter of fact i know you've been on the show when i've talked about it and uh you know our kids have kind of uh gotten away from the outdoorsy things and more stuck to a computer and and a game system now and uh well i hope this encourages a whole lot of listeners out there and a whole lot of people uh, about the fun that can be had not only in the summertime for fishing, but also in wintertime, because it's definitely me gotten me excited about uh, giving this a shot. Right on. Yeah. That's a great point. You know, it's way more fun to be doing things in, in the outdoors than being on video games or just watching movies all day. It gets you out, right. gets the blood moving and see some cool fish like burbots. So. Exactly. I'm looking forward to getting my first one now. I heard they're a slimy beast. <laughs> they're not as bad as pike. Really? Yeah, they're not too bad. I would. I, I don't mind them at all, but pike, man, they'll slime slime up everything. <laughs> yeah, they slime you to death. <laughs> yeah. Big time. 
another another good note about the burba too is so i was part of uh, some research where we looked at contaminants and uh, fish around fairbanks and the burbot were pretty low for uh for mercury and for pfas i'm not sure if anybody's heard of pfas but it's this firefighting foam that gets into the water there's a few um, places around fairbanks where it's contaminated the waters but it was good to see that the burba that people are eating and catching were um pretty healthy so that's that's nice i mean you don't want to be fine you don't want to be eating uh lots of mercury so they're they're very healthy fish to eat okay uh there's a question that just hit the screen do they have big teeth like pike no um in fact it's like sandpaper that will sometimes it'll give you a little pinprick if it's a big one might draw a tiny bit of blood but usually i just can lip them like a, a bass or something and it's just like sandpaper yeah okay definitely wouldn't want to do that with a pike no <laughs> no not without a kevlar glove <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's for sure all right any other questions we got out there well, Kevin, I just want to throw it out from me to you and uh, definitely from the Pulse and the listeners. Thank you for being on tonight and uh, doing such a, a great job uh, informing us on the burbot. And uh, I'm really excited to give this a shot. Like I said, this is the one fish I have not shot for and uh, went after. So I, for one, am uh getting excited about it um me and the other half were actually talking about it the other night about what kind of you know stuff we're going to need to throw together for it and it sounds pretty inexpensive to do um yeah you know yeah absolutely and i'm glad you're excited about it and hopefully uh we'll get some other people thinking about it too so yeah definitely and thanks All for right, having me on as, as always um really and you know maybe it. yeah and, and maybe next week I'll call in and maybe talk about grayling or something if you'll have me again. So. Okay. Sounds good. All righty. I'll uh, open the lines one more time here while I got Kevin on the phone. Got the app is open for call-ins and also the direct line at the pulse here, 360-207-0477. And uh, we'll give that a minute here, see if anything else pops up. But definitely great talk tonight. And uh, really appreciate hearing everything that you have to say. And um, makes me excited. Uh, like you said, it's definitely exciting to, uh, to get this kind of information. Not a whole lot of people are lucky enough to get this kind of info. And there was a shout-out for you on the screen. Thank you, Kevin. It was very informative and love all the cool things I learned about burbot fishing. Oh yeah, my pleasure. I love talking about fish. That's that's my jam. So there you go. Well, good. You may have to throw me some uh, good pointers here in the near future. <laughs> like I said, sure my my fishing days were generally you know lake fishing and the lower forty eight and uh, deep sea fishing. Um, I spent my time with, of course, swordfish, sailfish, anything large that takes like three four hours to bring in <laughs> and generally a six pack of beer, but anyway, <laughs> but, uh, this is definitely neat stuff and I've enjoyed, I, I love it here. I've been to Alaska to the core for many, many years and I'm uh, very thankful to be here and especially being able to talk to people, you know, like yourself that are so knowledgeable 
about the things that we have in the surroundings we get to deal with. So absolutely no better place to live in my eyes for fishing and hunting and outdoor stuff. Ain't that the truth. (laughs) All righty. Throw it out one more time. Uh, Any questions for Kevin for tonight? Uh, Like I said, you're welcome to jump on the air or call in. I'll go ahead and give it another minute here and see if anyone else has anything else. Oh, that was what, uh, yes, someone just put up on the post for you, Kevin. Uh, glad you found your fur baby. And yeah. someone did, uh, Susie actually threw something up there earlier. Did you happen to find, oh. so Susie, matter of fact, let me bring this up right now. First of all, I want to give a shout out to our good Samaritan, Sam, that was driving, um, towards uh ninana friday night who helped Susie change a tire on the side of the road um Susie had a blowout and uh uh before i happened to be way up in the other side of the world towards cantwell and um she called uh, uh roadside service and it could have taken forever but we had a good samaritan stop by uh his name was sam didn't get a whole lot of info but uh, he stopped and changed her tire in about 10 minutes or so in the freezing cold and got her on the road again. So big shout out to Sam and thank you. Uh, Back to what I was going to talk to you about. Um, She happened to be going down the highway early morning and she's wondering if she saw your dog because the last time she saw it was up by skinny dicks. How far did your dog get up the highway? You know? He didn't go that that far. He was um, just off of Gold Hill Road. Like he went a few miles uh, out into the, the forest, basically where there's all these mushing trails. So oh, okay. he was just out there in the middle of nowhere, pretty much. And then this musher happened to, upon him. Um, and yeah. yeah, I can't believe he made it. You know, three nights out. The first night, negative twenty. He's pretty much an indoor dog, so it's just right. pretty incredible that he he uh, must have found somewhere to to kind of cuddle up and and stay yeah. warm. Well, good for you. I'm glad, glad for you. So that must Thank mean you. you stop at Gold Hill all the time then with you being. Oh yeah. Trip. All the time. Do you? Okay. <laughs> I'm there quite the day, believe it or not. I stopped there in the morning and stopped there at night. We've probably passed nice. each other a hundred times and probably not even known it. <laughs> do you call, do you come all the way into Fairbanks for each day? I do. I do. Wow. I do. Um, sometimes I go the other way I go south, but, uh, most of the time I'm in Fairbanks, um, for, uh, what I do here in, uh, in Alaska and, uh, I'll call you and I'll, uh, I'll give you kind of the, the lowdown, but yeah, I'm, uh, I'm in there. I'm in there usually once, twice a day at uh, gold Hill. I usually kind of swing by in the morning to top off my coffee and, uh, Matter of fact, uh, I'll give shout outs to the uh, Gold Hill ladies down there. Got to say hi to Becky, of course, and Paula and Sue. But uh, yeah, um, I'm in there and I'm usually stopped there on the way home to top off on gas and usually grab a soda on my way back to uh, Anderson. So Wow, that's that's a lot of driving, but I'm sure it's, it's fun to see that and see a lot, it, I'm sure. It is. It definitely is. But uh, we'll definitely get together, get together, Kevin. And uh, that sounds and, great. Uh, 
and I'll give you a holler before the weekend comes and see if uh, see if uh, anyone else would uh, like to enjoy kind of seeing what's going on. Out Sounds there. good. Okay. All righty. Looks like uh, we're done. Once again, Kevin, thank you for being on tonight. Most appreciative, and I, I'm sure everyone enjoyed uh, uh, hearing you talk about, as you say, rambling on about the uh, <laughs> orbit fishing. And it's nice to see that you do have that passion uh, for the fish here in Alaska and, of course, the ecology and everything that is Alaska. Without, you know, people like you, um, it could be gone someday. You never know those counts. I, you know, and we never even touched on that. Uh, maybe we can do that another time of how important the counts are and watching, you know, what things, you know, how things are uh, affected. You know, we did Certainly. talk about it. We talked about it about the salmon this year. You know, I'm used to being able to go out to the slough or out to the Nanana and they're so thick you can walk across them. And of course this year was very thin, you know, but uh, we did learn a bunch. So thank you, Kevin, for being on yeah. tonight. Thank you so much for having me on. It's always a pleasure. And I uh, hope, you know, people found this interesting and useful and hope to talk to you guys again next week if you'll have me. So Okay, definitely. All righty. Um, I'm going to go ahead and let you go. Thank you again, Kevin. And uh, glad you came on and glad you found your fur baby and uh, everyone's home and safe. Absolutely. Have a, have a nice night, everybody. Bye. All right. Thank you, Kevin. All righty. So big shout out. And uh, matter of fact, here you go, Kevin. This is for you. There's that applause that we all wait for. <laughs> there you go, Kevin. Thank you very much for uh, coming on the air tonight and uh, giving everyone so much insightful uh, things about bourbon fishing. I, for one, am very happy to uh, learn some stuff tonight, and I'm actually really excited to give this a shot. So um, with that in mind, uh, I will also uh, post some information. And, of course, everyone on the uh Pulse tonight. If you have any questions, you can always uh, email me at the Pulse in Anderson and Ninana at gmail.com. I know it is a long email, but it is uh, also um, very easy to remember. I can actually put it there on the screen for you guys here. There we go. That way you guys have it. So uh, for further questions, or anything else that you have about uh, burbot fishing or anything else that pertains to the pulse in our communities. Um, okay, I can, uh, I know now I'm starting to ramble on, uh, but I'm supposed to. I'm the host. At least that's what they tell me. <laughs> All righty. Uh, anything else that um, we'd like to bring up tonight? It was a fantastic show tonight. Uh, any other announcements that we'd like to get out on the air tonight, uh, feel free to uh, get those announcements to me. Um, also, uh, you can send those early. 
Um, scheduled shows are, of course, uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays at 6.30 p.m. And uh, I throw some impromptu shows in there. Um, the show I did on uh, Sunday, uh, we had a show on Sunday. It was a great show. And uh, surprisingly, that one got downloaded a huge amount of times. We do got a, quite a lot of followers out there. And it's uh, great to have you all on there. Uh, make sure you pass the word around of the Pulse and Anderson and Nana, the Facebook page. Invite um, anyone that can contribute to the page, uh, family, friends. Um, I have no problem with that at all. Uh, enjoy having this kind of fellowship. Also, uh, like I said, if you're on the Podbean app, make sure that you do turn your notifications on. I have not actually used it. I do have the app on my phone, which I can pull up stuff here and there, but I have not um, been able to see how the calling and that sort of thing works. I do know that once I go live on air, it is supposed to send out a notification that the show has started, and I think it gives you a link or a way to go to it. Um, I'll probably ask the other half of tonight about that. So Susie, be aware, I'm going to target you about the Podbean app because I'm still learning about it myself. Um, I've gotten pretty good at using the uh, the page itself uh, for loading the shows and this and that. And that's also, um, you can listen to these shows anytime you like. Uh, I have set it up to where I do not delete the shows. So you're welcome to go on the Podbean app or the site and you're able to listen to the shows at any time. Also, I do post the uh, the link to the recorded version after the live show, and you're able to just go to that link on the Pulse page and also the Anderson page, and that'll take you to the link to where you can uh, listen to that show itself. But anyway, thank you, everyone, for making this show sucks such a success and uh i want to thank everyone in the community um especially all of you that support the show and like i said get the word out with that i also want to uh uh thank kevin one more time for the uh the talk to us tonight and the interview uh it's wonderful to have uh uh such people on uh, going back since the beginning of the show, we've had some great guests on that have uh, thrown out some amazing things about our community. Any ideas for the show that you'd like to hear about or uh, see out there? Um, you're welcome to email me here at the Pulse Anderson and Nana at gmail.com and uh, get the, the word out. Um, certain items you'd like to talk about. I, for one, am not afraid to talk about anything on the air. I ain't scared. I can tell you that much. Um, so it's more than welcome to uh, give me some ideas about shows and anyone else that would uh, like to contribute to the show and be a special guest. You can get a hold of me at that email or contact me direct at the Pulse 360-207-0477. Uh, that's just about going to do it for tonight. I'll go ahead and leave the lines open one more time here. Uh, app is open. 
and also the Pulse phone number in case I missed anything tonight. If uh, we'll give it one more shot here, see if anyone else has anything they'd like to uh, put out on the air or talk about tonight. All righty. Looks like I'm hearing those crickets out there. All righty. Well, I uh, hope you guys enjoyed the music at the beginning of the show. Um, it is a uh, quite a thing. It's a wonderful thing to be licensed to be able to play music on the show. I know I'm kind of eclectic with music and uh, throw some stuff out there. Um, I was told today to I was asked uh, what song I was going to play tonight. And of course, I threw out a Christmas tune and then uh, a good fishing tune after that. I hope everyone kind of in, uh, enjoyed that. All righty. Well, in that, I am going to uh, go ahead and close out the show. Once again, thank you, everyone, for being a part of it and supporting the show and uh, supporting their communities out there. I, for one, am proud to be in this community and our surrounding communities, and uh, we have some great people here. Lots of love coming out to you from myself and The Pulse. I'm going to go finish it off here with a tune here. I hope you guys enjoy it. Um, all I can say is it's a great day to be alive. Thank you all. Have a wonderful night, and we'll see you on Thursday. This is Denali Burrow Brett saying sayonara. I'm out. I got rice cooking in the microwave Got a three-day beard I don't plan to shave And it's a goofy thing But I just gotta say Hey, I'm a-doing all right Yeah, I think I'll make me some homemade soup Feeling pretty good and that's the truth It's neither drink nor drug-induced No, I'm just doing all right and it's a great day to be alive I know the sun's still shining when I close my eyes There's some hard times in the neighborhood But why can't every day be just this good? It's been 15 years since I left home Said good luck to every seed I'd sown Give it my best and then I left it alone I hope they're doing all right Now I look in the mirror and what do I see A long wolf there staring back at me Long in the tooth but harmless as can be Lord I guess he's doing all right And it's a great day to be Alive. I know the sun's still shining when I close my eyes. There's some hard times in the neighborhood, but why can't every day be just this good? Sometimes it's lonely, sometimes it's only me and the shadows that fill this room. Sometimes I'm falling, desperately calling, howling at the moon. I 
Good. 